I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us for this special alert bulletin broadcast. It is just after 5 p.m. on October 30th, 1990. We begin today's show with some haunting reports coming out of Rostov-on-Don, where, and we warn listeners faint of heart, police have discovered at the mutilated and tortured body of 16-year-old boy at Don Lieskos train station. The wounds upon the young boy's body are so drastic, so severe, that this victim has been immediately linked to the ongoing search for the butcher of Rostov, who has now claimed 51 helpless victims across the country. A wild, vicious and barbaric wave the likes of which our nation has never before seen. The youth has been strangled, stabbed 27 times and castrated with the tip of his tongue severed and his left eye removed from its socket. The crazed killer is still on the loose. Russian government officials believe this makes this monster the most horrifying, notorious serial killer this nation, or perhaps even the world, has ever seen. We urgently appeal for young people all across the nation to be alert, to be vigilant, and to be wary of the butcher. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Could Murder a Podcast. My name is Ben and I am joined by my good friend Tom. Hello Ben. How are you doing today? Really good, thanks Ben. How are you doing today? Very. (laughs) What? I like small talk. This bloody weather, huh? You could blow a gale out there, I suppose. And before we get into it, a little word from our sponsor. 
Tom, I'm ready. I've got my bags all packed. What are you on about? Our big US trip. You said we were going to enjoy all that America had to offer. No, you mug. We can now enjoy all the US true crime shows and documentaries, all from the comfort of our own homes. But they're blocked every time I try and search. Ben, let me and our new sponsor, Surfshark VPN, rock your world. And hopefully, unblock your mind. Surfshark is an app and browser extension that essentially lets you place your laptop or phone anywhere in the world enabling you to access the internet as if you were in that country. What, even Netflix? Oh, Ben, listen here. We can now access 15 different Netflix libraries from all around the globe by simply changing our virtual location using Surfshark. It also hides your IP address and encrypts your online information to safeguard your privacy. I mean, that's all well and good for us, Tommy boy, but what do our listeners get out of this? If our audience head over to surfshark.deals forward slash murder and use the code murder, they'll get 84% off plus four extra months for free. That is a pretty killer deal. Surfshark also offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you're not even taking a risk. Well, that's good because I hate risks. What do I do now? Maybe unpack your bags and put the kettle on? Sugar? So for those that are just joining us, welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. Or for those that are um, fans of the linear form, uh, welcome to Episode Number 9. Inside Number 9, great show. Yeah. So we film these in batches. Um, of course, Hands up. Of course we do. And uh, it was crazy, the timing of the first, uh, first episode coming out. Um, we filmed the first two in the first weekend. But the first one coming out days after Peter Sutcliffe died. Yeah, so I mean... I popped over to his uh, ex-wife's house. Um, not <laughs> well, you did you did that whilst he was still alive. Yeah, well, yeah, not knowing. What's <laughs> like, going on, yeah. Oh, she'll be upset. Yeah. Shoulder the Quran. Lay a candle. Do you lay a candle? No, I wouldn't lay one. Reef. We had uh, the episode edited, ready to go. We were getting ready to launch and uh, reveal the uh, the the new season coming back and the new episode premiere. And um, woke up to a notification and two text messages that he'd passed away. Mum and dad both let me know straight away. <laughs> right. it, is, it is strange doing this podcast because over the time I have had messages from people to articles or just pictures of horrible things thinking, you're like this. Yeah, well, yeah, they, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've we sort of um, created a reputation for, you know, not leaving any message unreturned. So, you know, keep sending weird things our way, but... Don't ask for weird things. Just send us messages. They can be, <laughs> they can be nice and normal. Yeah. Or weird. You know, we'll still reply. Test us. Go on. So we started this season over in Yorkshire. Uh, then we made our way to Amstetten. And, uh, and now we head towards Rostov. And a special shout... Yeah, do the accent. You do Amstetten. Amstetten. And then Rostov. See, that was actually good. So I was actually just about to do a shout out to Momchilo, um, who has been there since day one. So uh, massive thank you to you for your support. And also, I feel in thanking Momchilo, we kind of can cover ourselves for um, any potential mispronunciations that this case may have. 100%. This doesn't mean we're linking Momchilo to this this case whatsoever. Yeah, I did that with Yian and Ian Watkins. Yep. yep. I've learned from my mistakes. So here, you know, Momchilo, you have nothing to do with uh, today's case. <laughs> so welcome, everyone, one and all, welcome to episode nine. Andre Chikatilo, the Butcher of Rostov. So Ben... Uh, the Butcher of Rostov here also comes with lots of other names. If you mm-hmm. want, can you run through them for the for the audience, please? The Red Ripper, the Rostov Ripper, and the Forest Strip Killer. There's also one more. Oh. He was known as the Pathetic Monster. That's what he was dubbed by the police. Mm. Well, I heard at uh, one stage in his life he picked up the nickname the Goose. Yes, he did. Unrelated, of course, to Top Gun that hadn't come out yet. No, no, no. Um, but uh, yeah, um, meaning um, a pathetic man. So yes. yeah, that ties in nicely. But I'll be honest, before we do get uh, started with today's case, we've done a lot of um, dark individuals so far and some deeply disturbed individuals as well. But uh, today's case gives me the creeps. The heebie-jeebies. Yeah, jinkies. Jinkies. Jinkies, yeah, Belmont. Ooh, jinkies. It's like the little version of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. True to form with our, our kind of style and what the way we like to deliver um, each case. Um, we, we like to inject a bit of humour now and again, um, but we also like to you know go quite clearly deep on the on the kind of the profile and the the characteristics and the motives and the red flags and and um, really paint a picture. But um, there's lots of red flags here of it being a Soviet Union satire. The Ian Watkins case was a was a pretty tricky one to research, but in researching this one, this is the most spooked i've been he's fair to say i think he seems the most like a fictional character mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i mean he's he's got 
towards the end, you know, uh, uh, pre-trial, Chikatilo has mm. got the fa- the stereotypical face of a of a an evil, creepy killer. Yeah, and uh, there's he reminds me a little bit of there's a gif that will pop up of this baby, uh, but it's a creepy baby. Okay. He looks a bit like that to mm. me. Um, which you won't get the reference because we haven't seen it. But there's a creepy baby he looks exactly like. That's the only looky likey I can really do with. I'm going to call him Chica. Cause, uh, yeah. Chikatilo. Chikatilo. He also looks like Moby for people that are listening. Yeah. A slightly warped, keep him in the basement cousin of Moby. But Mo- Mo- Joby. <laughs> Moby's a vegan though, and this guy is not that vegan. <laughs> oh, can I have a bite of that, please? <laughs> Faces. So as we always do, we're going to look into his childhood and see if there's anything, any red flags. <laughs> My joke before, I smashed it. Uh, any, um, uh, any red flags with his childhood to see if, if there's any reason why he morphed into such a, a monster. So of all the childhoods we've covered so far, this by far is the um, most eventful, first of all. But secondly, um, to take some form of positive out of this case, I'm thankful for my childhood now. Yeah. This guy went through a lot. His family went through a lot. The whole country went through a lot during uh, this particular era. A world war, famine. um, It was a lot. It was an awful lot. It was. But let's go through it and see exactly what happened. Because obviously a lot of people went through this. Not not a lot of people growing up and doing what he does. So Very true. Let's see what exactly happened. So Andrei Romanovich Chikatilo was born on the 16th of October 1936. So possibly, um, you know, chronologically, the oldest case we've covered so far. There you go. So when Chikatilo was born, he was born in Ukraine and they were under rule of, of Russia, Stalin. Mm-hmm. And it was a time when Stalin had essentially caused a famine onto Ukraine. Man-made famine. Yeah, he uh, basically Russia were ordering the, the Ukraine farmers to send all of their goods over to Russia, and in doing that, it caused a mass famine over in Ukraine. Yeah, he was essentially um, creating them to labour um, based on the fact that they would starve if they didn't. Yeah, so. and millions would die from the famine, and, and there's even cases of cannibalism when he was growing up. So um, already, that's a very like you said, it's a, it's a growing up in that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, he, his mum would tell him, and this has never been proven, but he was told as a young boy his brother was killed and cannibalised. Um, and it, but people thought maybe that's just a threat for her saying for him to stay indoors, but it's never been confirmed. But he was yeah. definitely told that as a kid. And in, in one of his later court trials, which we'll definitely get onto, um, he mentioned that he went into one of his neighbors' huts and saw that they uh, they were preparing a stew. And in amongst the broth, um, he saw fingers floating. On his journeys to school, he would see bodies on the side of the road and things like that, which is obviously you can imagine how much of an effect that would have psychologically on him. Obviously, growing up in the atmosphere would have been, would have been horrible. Um, his dad was sent off to war in 1941, and he would grow up with his mother. During this time, uh, his baby sister would be born, and it was alleged well, the timelines didn't add up, and essentially it appears that a German soldier raped his mother, and that's how she was conceived. It's um, been theorised that perhaps he witnessed the whole thing, which obviously, as a young person growing up, would very much you know, damage the way you think about things and especially how you think about women and whatnot and how sex is done, essentially. Yeah, and that would uh, that would tarnish the relationship he had with his sister moving forward. So throughout his uh, throughout his time living in the uh, one-bedroom hut with his with his mother, um, he was a chronic bedwetter. Yep. And uh, she dealt with this in quite an interesting way um, from, from what I've gathered. She did not take the big daddy approach and uh, just place a newspaper over it. And yeah, that'd be horrible, yeah. Yeah. Instead, she would drag him out in front of the hut and yep. smack him on his willy with a wooden stick. Oh. Hmm. So for a number of key years of uh, Chica's um, early life, he's obviously missing a father figure, missing a male role model. His father would return from the war. However, he is immediately branded a coward as he was caught and held prisoner of war um, during the German occupation of Ukraine. Stalin said at the time, you either die in battle or you triumph. Um, and being taken into a war camp, he is considered he was he was a coward and he, he failed at war. He also returned with TB. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I think once coming back into Chikatilo wasn't very, um, 
you know, didn't think of his father as very glamorous. Um, whilst he didn't have a father figure, he'd be very entrenched into reading comic books about war heroes and all the crazy acts. And he, because he, he wasn't very manly himself as a, as a boy, he was quite, yeah. quite shy, small. Yeah, he'd he would always think of like his dad maybe being you know that kind of big character doing all these things. But him turning up in the way he did, he was very disappointed in what in what he saw. Yeah, absolutely. And and that reputation of being a coward and being not necessarily being a traitor, but being some, you know, a disappointment, um, then became a bit of a stigma associated with the whole family. So he would get bullied for it. Um, and apparently the mother was quite a, a bully herself. So she would, she would bully the father and, and the son, um, calling them both cowards, small, uh, weak. Um, and you can only imagine the, uh, the repercussions of this bit like Kemper's mum. She was, She's, she was never really uh, appearing but, to be a nice lady. No, yeah, both of them were very maternal growing up. Yeah, but I think it's easy to... I always think these cases, there, are, there is obviously things that affect them as growing up and it will change the way they think of things, but then the acts they go on to do, mm-hmm. you never want to give them the kind of easy solution to why they, they do that. Yeah, of course, yeah. So uh, I also read that he didn't taste bread until he was 12 years old. <laughs> they leave sandwiches. Leaf sandwiches. Some occasions he was at, he would actually eat leaves and mud to survive. Maybe not in sandwich form. That was just me kind of thinking of how I'd do it, but leaves and mud. So growing up he felt very unmanly and he lacked sexual prowess with girls. People in his class would, you know, chat away and flirt and he would always be very nervous, even to the point when he couldn't even say his name. So rather rather than pursue girls, he thought I was gonna throw myself into the Communist Party. And he would put, you know, he's going to go there and lead to greatness, rise to greatness, and everyone will have respect for him growing up because mm. rather than being that weedy boy that can't talk to girls, he could go do that and people would look up to him. So he's 15 now, and as you say, really focused on uh, his education and learning as much as possible and the, the Communist Party. At this point, uh, as a 15-year-old, he's not had too many interactions with females or too much interest um, uh, with, with other, other girls in his, in his village. Um, his younger sister um, has a friend over, and he gets in a, a slight tussle with her, and they actually end up having a bit of a play fight. Um, now, he overpowers her, obviously four years older than her, and suddenly feels a sensation um, in his trousers um, that to this point in his life he hadn't felt before. Um, and he actually climaxes while overpowering her, gets very embarrassed, and kind of cowboy walks off um, you know, back into the hut. So just uh, for the next minute or so, if, if my mum and dad are listening, then just just skip forward about uh, a minute. Um, so on that, he's 15. Um, he's witnessed his mother being raped. Anytime he, anytime he wets the bed, he's getting his willy smacked with a stick. I don't know why. So obviously everything he's been through so far has left him with a slightly warped view on sexuality. He is now under the impression that if he grapples with someone that's slightly weaker than him or overpowers someone, that is what stimulates him. He's obviously witnessed his mum being, you know, allegedly raped by German soldiers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, all this obviously was for his formative years. He's, he grew up wanting to be you know, big and powerful. And then obviously that sense of power is something that, that really, uh, well, it drove him sexually. Yeah, and that's the first time it happened, and I, I, I guess that would give him the perspective that this is normal, this is how to achieve it. So the feeling that that gave Chica would obviously spur him on to uh, much more vicious and dark actions. So following on from that, Chikatilo did start dating one of Tatiana, his younger sister's friends, but he was unable to perform sexually, he was impotent, and that became a big subject in Chikatilo's head gossip was spread and he which made him very very uncomfortable within himself and mm. um, we obviously know how he achieved climax before and he was unable to do it in a more conventional way yeah yeah 100 percent. and when you look at him at kind of his later teenage years early early adulthood he's not a bad looking guy you know he got quite a lot of interest from uh from females uh, you know in his in his area um often approached but again he had in the back of his mind now the stigma attached with the fact that he couldn't you know perform um, because this, you know, made him very depressed, very angry. So she left him after 18 months because he couldn't please her, which I think 18 months is a long time. Patient girl. Especially if you're going around slagging him off on his back. Patient guy. Into his 20s, he was drafted into the army and at the after parties and things like that. A lot of soldiers would go back home to, with lots of different women and he would never, he would never do it because he was so knocked with his confidence. He knew about his impotence and he was, you know, he wasn't ready to go back with with anyone but he was mocked for being gay by his um by his peers eventually he would start going back with some people and he wasn't able to perform once again 
he would again be, you know, people would rib him for it or take the mick out of him. And his confidence was once again knocked, underlining the fact that he didn't feel normal and he wasn't, you know, able to, um, um, and he wasn't able to satisfy a woman. Yeah. Um, and that was a very similar pattern, you know, through his school years as well, you know, it was because he was so, you know, a lot smaller. He wasn't eating, you know, as much as the other children were, you know, the, the leaves and dirt sandwiches, if we're going to go with that. Didn't quite, you know, you know, children need lots of protein um, to support their development. He obviously didn't get that. Um, and, um, you know, he loved it. He loved it uh, to compensate this with with studying. So would always just, you know, go home and read books instead, um, you know, try, try and uh, educate himself and develop himself. He kind of had his own kind of hideaway for most of his adult early adult life. So after he returned from the army, he, he would try go on to try and hang himself and his sister and his mother pulled him out of the noose. He would then go on to graduate at trade school, becoming a communist party member, which is the route he wanted to go down. He thought the communism party was the thing that was going to make him powerful and stand out. So as I said, he was, tra- he was you know, compensating in his own development and education. And uh, during his late teenage years, he, he obtained two degrees. Um, but still that was, you know, not enough for him to feel like a normal person and to feel like, you know, he had his place in society. Again, he would, he would fight depression and, uh, lots of ridicule, um, from his colleagues and, and neighbors and, and well, I, would, I was going to say friends, but, um, he didn't really have too many friends. So it's a really sad circle that he's, he's ended up in, um, despite trying to, you know, <clears throat> climb away from the, the, um, the poverty that he came from. So Chikatilo would go on to move to a town just north of Rostov um, and his sister would then set him up on a blind date while she invited him out to lunch with her and she also brought a friend along. And the friend was called Theodosia. I mean, throughout this this research, his sister comes across as a really nice younger sister, despite whatever kind of resentment he might hold against her for, you know, how she was conceived. Um, she's always looking out for him, despite him being bullied. She's always trying to set her up, set him up with her various friends. Um, and uh, and again, even though she's now you know um, married and has a husband, she's still going out of her way to to look out for. I him. I think she very much, very much pitied him and knew knew that he was you know he he was so unconfident that she had to do something for him. But Theodosia was coming to the end of her prime marriage years, and um, Chikatilo's sister was also worried about him not finding someone. So she thought that it would make sense. Um, the the photo I saw of her is quite an intriguing one. She looks like she could be a member of the Beatles. She was able to look past his shyness and she basically looked at the fact that he wasn't a drunk, he wasn't domestically violent. And in those days, that was quite a rare thing, apparently. So that was enough to make her happy with the relationship. So they would go on to marry and it was a marriage of convenience rather than love. Yeah, and he had respect for her as well, which again, I think um, that there was a, a lack thereof with most of the male population uh, in Russia at the time. Um, so no, yeah, match made in match made in heaven. Well, he was a member of the Communist Party. He was intelligent, well read, and as I said, he's not drunk and whatnot. So I think it ticks a lot of boxes. A lot of people weren't ticking. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. And from the outside of things, they look like a happy, like well-to-do family. So that's exactly what they wanted to, uh, to appear like. But they were very much from anything from being your ordinary family and they had to do things in a very different kind of way. 
now married, they are wanting to consummate the marriage. And unfortunately, um, they are unable to go down a more traditional uh, delivery of this. So to bypass that, uh, Chikatilo masturbates onto her stomach and then pushes the sperm into her with his hand. And yeah, and this actually surprisingly worked twice. And she, yeah. she fell pregnant twice there. So the weird thing about that is you essentially, if you were the son or daughter, your parents never actually had sex and you were conceived. Kind of like how Jesus probably felt with the Virgin Mary and Joseph. There was also, I don't know if this was the same at your school, but there was also the... That didn't happen at my school. <laughs> there was also the uh, the school-based rumour that, maybe it was just my school. <laughs> Go um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but when um, sperm meets the air, it dies. When sperm meets the air, it dies. Mm. So rather than it the traditional route where it's, yeah, I think it was probably a school playground. So Theodosia was able to overlook this as obviously, you know, this wouldn't be your stereotypical way of doing things, but she was, you know, she wanted to seem normal to everyone else, a wife for two kids, the perfect communist party family. Yeah. And make note of her overlooking this because there'll be a few other things that she overlooks uh, in the coming years. I've made a note. Thank you he would go on to be a teacher and for a man who was very shy and didn't like kids it seems a very odd choice to go down and growing up you know he was bullied and by kids and that bullying carried on he was bullied as a teacher as with kids because they thought it was very weak they they nicknamed him the goose yeah like ben said which was a commonly used term in russia for like a weak human and weak man so the kids would just talk over him they'd smoke in his class blow smoke at him and he'd get angrier and angrier every day going home he thought, even these kids don't respect me, so who's going to respect me going forward? Yeah, and again, another issue with control. Definitely, yeah. And the sight of kids falling in love, being confident with one another, flirting, he felt that as if they were just rubbing it in his face. Mm-hmm. And this is where actually his criminal behaviour would begin. So in the following years, what began as voyeurism outside the school toilets had um, gradually uh, escalated into indecent assaults on both male and female students. Yes, he would barge into change rooms unannounced. He would fondle himself during class, press his body up against students whilst looking at their work. All these kind of things which, you know, I think even at school you joke about teachers being a bit odd. Oh, yeah. And then it's like these kind of things he he was actually doing. One time he kept a student after class for detention and he held her down and beat her with a ruler. Whilst doing this, he ejaculated and he was stunned by it. He locked her in the room and he left and she had to escape through the window to get home. So that's, so that's another time when it's been rubber stamped in his head. Power is what I need. This is what satisfies me. So at that time, um, you know, rumours would start to, to spread, um, allegations would escalate and parents would then um, begin to complain to the school about his behaviour. And this would uh, w- would lead to Chikatilo being let go. Yes, it would. And he'd, he also um, was swimming in the local river and he saw up to a young girl, groped her. She was just rushing around screaming. He again ejaculated when he and he let her go. He is just, he craved control. And when it was, when people, when people felt weak to him, he, that's when he kind of really you know, spurred him on. Um, in that time there in the Soviet Union, kids were actively encouraged to trust all adults, to even call strangers, uncles and aunties. So, and not to talk out against them. So it Our was, times have changed. Well, it's literally a situation where kids are encouraged to be, to be quiet and, and, and not speak out. So it's the perfect breeding ground for someone like him to be. There was another interesting um, incident that took place where um, Chikatilo would actually molest a sleeping boy. And this was observed by two of the senior students who then beat Chikatilo within an inch of his life. And from that point onwards, he would carry a knife around in his pocket. So, um, you know, students, you know, half his age beat him nearly to death um, for fondling. But again, the police didn't do anything um, about it once it was reported. Yes. So after he was moved on from the school, he he relocated the family. Um, His wife would forgive him about this. You know, she knew that he he wasn't attracted to her anyway, but, um, and she was just, she was able to kind of deal with it. And as you said, overlook it. So, So they moved to a new place and he even bought an old shack, which the family didn't know about. And that is where he would take back drunks, prostitutes, and young girls, where he'd offer them drink in exchange for sexual favours. This is the, this is the you know, uh, we mentioned there was going to be limited room for, for gags in this, uh, in this particular case. So the shack itself, he would use um, the promise of sweets and toys to lure children there. To lure adults there, he would use the promise of booze and drugs. And then if that didn't work, he would say that he had a collection of rare stamps and rare coins behind the shack 
So maybe to highlight um, the exciting things that were happening in Russia at the time, he lured people with rare coins and rare stamps. I've only licked it once. The stamp. So before we get into the timeline, a little precursor, Chikatilo would go on to murder 50 plus people. So we're not going to go into every single murder. No disrespect to the victims, Mm. but there's certain key factors that we're going to pick up on and go in depth on, which really kind of shape the case. But as I said, no disrespect to the ones we don't mention. It's just there's a lot to get through. So December 22nd, 1978, Chikatilo claims his first victim, nine-year-old Lena Sakotnova. Her body was found two days later in the Grushkova River. So he spotted her when she was walking home by herself and he said she could use the shack's toilet, his secret shack, which his family didn't know about. She took up the kind offer and entered. Little did she know what was about to happen. He'd go on to try and rape her, but he couldn't get aroused. And then he took out a knife and stabbed her in the stomach. This is when he became aroused and he continued to butcher the poor girl. So I believe at the point that he's trying to to rape her, she begins to scream and shout. And uh, that's what's prompting him to pull the knife out. He would go on to do the same things he did to his wife, to ejaculate and push the semen into her, which is Mm. when you're taking away the actual, like, scientific reason he did it with his wife, it's a very peculiar thing that he felt that needed to be part of this, you know. Again, his perspective is pretty warped, so maybe that's just him... (laughs) I don't know, actually. That's disgusting, isn't it? So apparently he thought she had died, so, but she actually started making noises and so he had to strangle her until she did eventually pass away. This would go on to quench his thirst for power. Um, he started to think, the way that it's been theorised, he started to think of the knife now as his penis because he was unable to use his penis, but the knife, we could be able to do what he, wanted, what he wanted with it and it would lead on to him feeling satisfied. So he'd have a bloodstained house after this and neighbours reportedly heard screams coming from the house but the police did not link it to him. Yeah, it couldn't possibly be Chikatilo. He's a member of the party. Um, you know, he's an educated person. He's, uh, you know, a good member of society. Uh, instead, they blamed it on someone else, despite all the evidence. Yeah, they were able to link it to a local man who had already done committed sexual crimes before, and they, they pinned it all on him, because as well, Chikatilo's wife did offer him an alibi. And the guy that was charged would go on to be arrested and then executed. Yeah, so uh, they actually charged and executed um, Alexander Kravchenko. Um, He was a local man who had previously served a 10-year sentence for rape. um, And um, there was no evidence linking it to him, but it was the fact that, oh, he's done it before, he's done it again, you know. So technically, that's another victim of Chikatilo then. Yeah. He was killed because of his crimes. So in March 1981, Chikatilo was unable to get another job as a teacher. He has been moved on from previous roles after being inappropriate with the children. He would go on to find employment as a supply clerk for the local industrial complex. The job would include him travelling around a lot on trains and being away from the family home for long periods of time. And this was the perfect role for what he was looking to do. Yeah, so this is a massive... Um massive uh, point in the in the timeline itself so this now gives him access to the full country you know russia's and if you've seen the globe it's massive it's a big place isn't about it? half the world ish this uh there's some very um impoverished areas at the time you know he had access to uh you know f- uh, forests and, and countrysides where he would pick off uh, vulnerable people September 3rd, 1981, Chikatilo kills his second known victim, then 17-year-old Larissa. Um, Her body was found the next day. Chikatilo was elated with this, super happy with himself. While his uh, first victim had left him frustrated and confused, the second one had uh, given him satisfaction and stimulated him to climax. So Larissa would bump into Chikatilo when he was doing his rounds and the, he asked her if she would like to relax in the woods, which was a commonly known phrase for um, fornicate. She went in there willingly and he made his moves and she resisted and this excited him. She then teased him and he got very angry. Um, he actually didn't bring his knife with him at the time, so he just beat her senseless and he filled her mouth with dirt to stifle the screams. In a moment of madness, he would bite off her nipple and he danced around the corpse naked. He had found what had satisfied him. So that's that's an escalation. Yes, it's, it's kind of become that feels like it's, it's a ritual. On it, yeah. I mean, it's escalated to the fact that now he's you know he's biting things off victims, which progresses as we go on. But um, imagine stumbling upon that. Mm. June twelfth, nineteen eighty-two. While on another business trip uh, to the town of, and again, we apologize if this is wrong. I apologize if this is wrong. Um, to the town of Zaplavskia. That sounded bang on, Ben. 
that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Thank you, man. I feel bad now for that, man. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> he killed 13-year-old Lyaba Buryuk after following her home from a bus stop. After a failed attempt of rape, he produced a knife and stabbed her repeatedly, including several wounds to her eyes. So I think this is something that slowly becomes a theme. Um, because of the warm summer conditions, her body was almost a skeleton when it was found two weeks later. Yeah, as you mentioned there, the, the stabbing of the eyes, um, that actually comes from an old Russian old wives' tale. Apparently, if people are murdered, it's imprinted on the eyeballs. Yeah. And, and it's believed that he did that because he didn't want her, him to be the last thing she saw. But this would become, essentially, as a calling card, he would do from this point onwards that would be a, a process which he does which the police would then start linking the bodies with mm. if the eyes were stabbed um, yeah horrible yeah yeah I have a thing with eyes I don't like not, just, eyes and teeth eyes and teeth yeah like when uh, have you ever seen photos of people with like m when they photoshop like multiple layers of teeth in people's mouth oh yeah I don't, I, don't, like I don't like that but then eyes just general keep things out of my eyes don't like it by the end of 1983, the total victim count had risen to 17, of which six had been found. Um, now, Chikatilo had killed boys, girls, um, teenagers. I think the youngest was seven years old at this point. Um, the, the oldest was 18, so he's targeting kind of the younger individuals, the more helpless um, individuals here. Uh, but he doesn't discriminate in terms of a certain gender. Yeah, and a lot of the um, victims were mentally disabled and, uh, as you said, very young children. They were very easy for him to lead them away. And as I said, in that time, children were taught to trust adults and believe them. So him leading them away, it was probably very easy for him. The police at the time were kind of theorised in that as people harvesting organs, mm -hmm. Satanists, or even a local mentally handicapped group of boys because a lot of the crimes were happening near some homes. I had uh, another one, another kind of... Um theory of the local Russian police they believed a werewolf was on the loose or on the prowl well I mean he did to this stage he carried on with the biting of things he would even start getting the stage where he would um, he would mutilate the body and cut out the uterus and he said he would nibble on it and the, the way he worded it he said they were so pink and springy he would bite off nipples, bite off lips, bite off tongues he would do this when they were still alive which is absolutely horrific. I mean, that's you can imagine when you found the body, that thinking that it was an yeah. animal that done it, it wouldn't be. It's probably easier to actually picture that than thinking of a human being doing it. Yeah, and he would only bite; he wouldn't actually swallow no. um, because because that would be weird. Um, <laughs> no, apparently he liked the tex the texture on his teeth. So chewing various organs would give him quite a nice sensation that again would arouse him. Yeah, and the police would label this case the case of fools because they thought it was a group of people. They didn't think one person could possibly do all this by themselves. Um, so yeah, it, the it case was... of fools. I bet Chikatilo was livid when he saw that headline, <laughs> having been called a goose for the last 10 years. <laughs> when am I going to get a break? <laughs> So due to the rapid rise in, in the victim count, um, they had escalated from local police um, and they'd actually brought in a major, a major, and his name was Major Mikhail Fetisov. Major Fetisov reviewed the situation and sent a scathing report to his superiors, criticising the ineptitude of local police and suggesting that all of the murders were the work of a single sex-crazed killer. So he's, he's absolutely bang on there. Moscow headquarters reluctantly accepted his findings but fell short of calling the perpetrator a serial killer as that was viewed as too westernised and, um, and not possible in Russian culture. So with this case, obviously there's so many bodies. Um, there's a weird uh, Soviet method when they would find the body and this is how they would go about investigating it. They would cordon off the body, which is a normal kind of thing. Then they'd walk in like a large circle and slowly get closer and closer to the body looking at any evidence. And Chikatilo would dump a lot of the bodies in woodlands surrounded by rubbish. So there'd be lots of things they'd have to look at and investigate as it could possibly be evidence. It's not a case of, you know, a pristine place with, you know, a knife in the corner. It was a case of there's lots of things that possibly could be linked. So there's a lot of man hours spent just kind of searching these things, which, which literally had nothing to do with the case. There was a very, this, this kind of thing wasn't a commonplace yeah. over there. Um, yeah. And with, with the investigation, they actually got a psychi psychiatrist involved which is very, very rare for them to do that. Um, because Stalin didn't like psychiatrists. They turned to a psychiatrist called Alexander Bukhanovsky, who actually studied gay and transgender psychiatry in Soviet Russia at the time, which was very progressive, you think, in that kind of era. Mm -hmm. So he, he was requested to draw up a psychological profile 
on the perpetrator, and he made up a 65-page thesis. Wow. The main points being, because we're not going to go through the 65 pages, because no. no one's got time for that. Danny doesn't want to be a listener to 65 pages. Actually, I would. Okay. Page one. <laughs> he said sexual perversions were fully developed, so he was older, 45 to 50. He likely has problems with impotence and likely satisfied by the killings. Could have a wife or children. He craves killing like a hungry man craves food. In his opinion, the offender was an ordinary, unremarkable Soviet citizen. Absolutely spot on. That is crazy how spot on he, he's got it. And and that's the thing, it's like they brought him in, which was very strange for the investigation to do that. It, it's not a natural thing to do over there, especially Stalin would look down on it. Mm-hmm. But this guy's come in and he's got it on the money. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Stalin abides by that kind of non-believer uh, view of um, the, the possibility that uh, Russia would have a serial killer just like America. You know, there's uh, there's Bundy, there's Dharma, there's Gacy, there's Son of Sam all going on at a similar time. And uh, there's no possible way it could get to Russia. That weren't bad, my Russian. I was really nervous driving down about my Russian. And now I can sleep okay. Well, you should have bloody been Russian. What time did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> so when doing the investigation previous to this, the psychiatrist getting involved, they looked into 5,845 criminals, 10,000 mentally ill patients, 416 gay men, 163,000 car owners... Though doing all this extra work, they did go on to solve 1,062 other cases, wow. including 95 murders and 245 rapes. So that even though, obviously, it wasn't leading them to Chikatilo, they did actually go on to solve a lot of a lot of um, other cases during the time. Okay, so we move on to the year 1984. As most of the bodies had been recovered from woodland areas, the case became unofficially known as the Lesopolosa, or Forest Strip Killings. Um, samples of semen taken from the victims indicated that the killer had a type AB blood and if any of the suspects matched they were to be detained for further questioning those that didn't match were immediately released so the police yeah the, the, the sample of semen was type AB and it was very common that the blood type would match AB and everyone you know you're not going to catch a criminal and go mate can you just go 10 minutes in there and give us a bit of your semen they're going to have they're not going to they can ask for bloods a lot more so they're going to be doing that in order to try and link them together so the fascinating thing oh, isn't yeah it? can you imagine if they had Chikatilo he'd be in that room forever oh it's fine well I guess yeah are you finished oh, no I can't can't go down there so yeah so they, they would be looking for a man who had the blood type AB from that semen sample which unbeknownst to them was a complete red herring uh, this this thing is something I never knew about and yeah. and and well the FBI and the KGB didn't know anything about this at the time that the blood type there's a tiny percentage of people in the world who have different semen to blood types so for someone in that that small percentile to be a serial killer I would say that's the that's potentially the biggest superpower you could give a serial killer undetected Ye- yeah via DNA yep that's yeah i mean there are definitely the chances of having a serial killer who would do these heinous things having that as a blood type and semen type is is minute Mm -hmm. it is tiny my friend still 1984 in the absence of computers throwback to your boy george oldfield from the yorkshire ripper case the details of all the suspects interviewed were handwritten on index cards and kept in boxes one of the cards recorded that andre chikatilo had been interviewed but was released when his blood type failed to provide a match and apparently the different uh, the different investigators that we've heard from in these documentaries building up um he was quite arrogant in the fact that he couldn't be couldn't be caught on dna or blood yeah. groups matching so he just no it wasn't me it was arrogant <laughs> prove it prove it you'll never catch me you could play a Russian in a Rocky film. Okay. It's just a good level. <laughs> so once this was revealed that the, the blood type and the semen type wasn't, you know, didn't technically need to be the same thing or could possibly be different, they started to change the investigation. And this is when they started to monitor areas which the, the um, crimes commonly take place. And one of the common places would be around the train, the railway stations, lots of different people coming and going, people waiting for things trains mainly trains and then they would basically it'd be in the middle of nowhere so this is where Chikatilo would usually commit his crimes and so the police were like we're going to get plainclothes policemen to be stationed at these stations and wait to see if anything happened yeah selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Um, and, and that's the thing. And I mean, the, the murders now begin to progress at an even more alarming rate and across different parts of the country as well, mainly, as you say, by train lines or woodland areas. Um, but uh, they are now progressing at an alarming rate. And from January to September 1984, 15 new murders had been committed, 11 of them during the summer period alone. So September 14th, 1984, Chikatilo is arrested. And as the police begin to investigate his history slightly more, they uncover um, some incidents and complaints that had been alleged against him for his uh, kind of uh, penchant for, for young girls, uh, well, and young boys. And they uncover several classroom incidents in which had resulted in his employment termination. Several people who also lived in the vicinity of his secret shack um, had also complained to police that he used to entertain prostitutes in that area um, and that he um, had a habit of stalking the corridors of trains. Mm. Yeah, that all ties in with him commonly committing the crimes around the train stations and whatnot. So whilst he was arrested, obviously the crimes would go down during that period. And once he was released, he was very shaken by actually being arrested and he didn't commit any murders for eight months. So the fact that he didn't commit any murders for eight months afterwards would would later on go on to actually affect Chikatilo when he was in court because this showed that there was a moral compass in him and that he did know what he was doing and he knew that it was bad and morally corrupt. So this would actually go on to ruin his plea for insanity as well. Okay, so October 1st, 1985, as Tom said, it's a massive uh, gap in the timeline. During a business trip to Moscow, Chikatilo kills 18-year-old girl named Natalia Pochlivsova. He would kill another 18-year-old girl in the same area just 26 days later. So December 1985, the police now begin to monitor and patrol three different uh, key train lines and, um, and train stations as well. Um, so they were documenting and stopping or stopping and documenting anyone that looked suspicious, first of all. Um, but in addition to this, army helicopters were used to patrol railway lines and the adjoining forests from the air. So with all this added um, kind of surveillance on key areas where Chikatilo would target people, this led to him going, uh, well, ceasing his activities for almost two years. The police force and investigators were later embarrassed to learn that Chikatilo himself, in his capacity as a freelance employer of the Department of Internal Affairs, had actually been assisting the militia to patrol the trains. So you're looking for someone suspicious. I mean... <laughs> He must have been the most suspicious-looking um, militia member. It's like playing Cluedo, and you're actually the your character is actually in the card, in the middle. That's not the card packet. What would you say, Dan? Cluedo envelope. Cluedo, and also just quickly, how much? This seems like the police obviously are panicking. They want to solve this, but but planes helicopters flying along the train lines how expensive has this case become mm. I know obviously they, they solve a lot of other cases in this time but it must have cost a pretty penny a pretty ruble ruble yep a pretty ruble so 1986 as mentioned Chikatilo did not kill this year 
He spent most of 1986 traveling around the country on buying trips for his employer and celebrated his 50th birthday on October 16th. So from 1987 to 1989, Chikatilo would uh, go on to kill an additional seven people, a majority of which were young boys. A particular uh, murder that he committed was in the Ukraine. Um, he killed a 12-year-old boy named Ivan Bilovetsky, and the attack was so brutal that a part of the knife blade broke off and was later found at the scene by police. So we talked earlier, obviously, about um, uh, the local uh, Rostov police trying to pin it on a werewolf. Um, well, they actually pinned 23 of Chikatilo's first, well, his first 23, which is absolutely staggering to say, on uh, two um, young boys with Down syndromes who, who ended up getting arrested and charged for these, these murders, which is horrible. Yeah, I think at the time, and there's a lot of ways that they would... Um kind of beat confessions out of people keep them awake for for days and days upon end which would then you know you start getting a bit um what's the word yes <laughs> you get when you're sleep deprived you start saying different things and you just wanted to end them and you see it so desperate so people mm. they would they would admit to the crimes even though they had nothing to do with them so for the the back end of 1989 including killing someone on my actual birthday hideous for making it about you so for the rest of 1989, as well as the majority of 1990, uh, Chikatilo would go on to take an additional 13 victims, taking uh, the total count to 53. Um, and it's at uh, this point, well, it may have been earlier, but at this point he begins to become quite lazy in his approach. I think by this stage he's killed that many people without being caught. He, he was arrogant about the blood type. Yeah. He was able to do it, you know, in his own flat in his shack outside near near people it was just so easy for him to do and as I said when the bodies were left where they were left wildlife eating the bodies or the heat kind of it would all ruin the evidence he felt as if you know he was untouchable so November 6th 1990 was a very big day in this case Chikatilo would go on to kill a 22 year old woman named Shlvelda Kolostik she went with him in the woods near Leshkov Station and was beaten, stabbed and mutilated. He removed her tongue and, and both her nipples and he covered her naked body with leaves and branches. As he was walking back to the station, one of these plainclothes policemen who were just coming back from his break, so he missed the scene happening, but um, as he returned, he saw um, Chikatilo walking beside the platform, wiping sweat from his face and blood from his cheek. So he immediately obviously was like... I've I need got a few questions for you, sir. Yeah. That's that's the weird thing because I appreciate that this has spanned you know what a couple of decades now, um, and it's a big country. He's picked off like you said, Ben. It's bigger. It's Russia, the world. Russia's bigger than the world. <laughs> You're remembering it wrong. Stop getting Ben wrong. You know Russia's bigger than the world. Yeah, I'm staying by that. I mean, you mentioned this this particular um, lady walked with him in the woods. Are people not suspicious at this point that there is a serial killer on the loose? Well, or are we, they we, not buying into the... When we say she she went with him in the woods, we don't know if she was forced there. Maybe he produced the knife. Um, I think by this stage, people probably were being a bit more careful careful with that. But yeah, it, it's, it's hard, as I said earlier on. In this kind of community, a lot of the, the police weren't openly saying, there's one guy to watch out for. Yeah. They were saying, you know, werewolves and all this other stuff. So yeah. if someone, an unassuming man who is part of the Communist Party wanted to walk for you, you're not going to think, be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's very hard to say. Okay. So November 20th, 1990, while Chikatilo was at work, he had a, a finger bandaged up, which was as a result of one of his victims biting him. Um... He was aching badly and left work to go to a nearby clinic for x-rays. After receiving treatment for his finger, which was broken, he went home. He then decides he wants to go out and buy some beer. So this is an, an, an obscure image that um, I have in my head, but also there's video footage of him being picked up here. So Chikatilo at this point, broken finger, bandaged up, jar of beer in his left arm, walking around the streets, offering it to children... In an attempt to kind of lure them towards him, um, while doing this, he's observed by um, plain-clothed KGB officers who immediately take note of this strange-looking man wandering around the streets, offering a jar of beer to uh, children, and they decide to approach him. So, as he continued on, three men in leather jackets would approach him, and they identified themselves as police officers. One of the men would then handcuff him and told him that he was under arrest. Was then transported to the office of Mikhail Festuov 
at the regional headquarters of the Department of Internal Affairs. Chikatilo, who had made no attempt to resist the arrest, did not speak for the entire trip. So later that day, Chikatilo is formally arrested. Um, he, this will be the final time that he's arrested and upon search of a briefcase that he had with him, as well as this jar of, uh, jar of beer, um, it's revealed that he has a knife, a length of rope and a jar of Vaseline. How long is a length of rope? That's what the policeman said. And then Chikatilo didn't laugh because he realised this is evidence. doesn't even make any sense so yeah that reminds me of when um, Peter Sutcliffe was arrested with his v-neck on his, on his legs he is literally pants down this is what I've got there can't be any more evidence there literally that is you know yeah there's no I'm trying to come up with something that you could have claimed to have been doing instead but no no I can't think of anything nothing there so they arrest him and begin to search his apartment um, and while doing this, police find 23 knives. That's excessive. For some reason I have it in my head, like, again, Sutcliffe had his hammer, mm-hmm. uh, that you only really have the one to go to. But 23, yeah. He had, a ha- he had a hammer and a pair of shoes that were later found to match the footprint next to one of his victims. So whilst in custody of the police, Chikatilo would go on to demonstrate his techniques and he seemed to get perverse pleasure from doing so. Um, he would use a, a gymnasium and you, and you showed on dummies exactly what he'd do, how he would tie them up, how he'd disarm them, and even how he would make love with them. So he was getting a lot of pleasure from being like, you know, because obviously people have been studying him and looking for him so long, he was kind of, this is all my secrets, this is exactly what I've done. There's, you know, there's footage which will show of him doing it yeah, and it's just seems, it just seems so kind of clinical. It's, it's, it's like, that's it's kind of like that scene in The Office when Dwight's got the... Uh, the dummy and he puts the face on it's kind of like it's a weird demonstration of how health and safety but it's showing how he killed 53 people so april 14th 1992 the first day of chikatilo's trial now when we looked into picking this case and um to be honest yeah we haven't really covered why we picked this case i mean for for us we had seen this footage and these images and that's what made us so fascinated with the guy yeah i think i think i wouldn't be wrong in saying maybe you're different but obviously with our instagram we do lots of images and lots of, of like headlines about certain people um and whilst looking just in general about serial killers he popped up quite a lot mm-hmm. and then we saw images and the fact yeah this some of the courtroom stuff we're going to go into it, it immediately became a real like what happened here what kind of case is this yeah. and that kind of drew us into wanting to cover the case because it, it seemed so it seemed so film-like i'd say so at this point yeah, he's arrested and he's in the courtroom. Now, he's decided that his only way out, and poten- potentially the coward's way out here, is to live the rest of his life in an asylum or a secure hospital and get, kind of see off his days there. The last thing he wants, like many of the people we've covered so far, is the death penalty. Yeah. So he shaves both of his eyebrows off, shaves his head, and... Sharpens his sharpens teeth. his teeth. I don't understand how he got the implements to do... Obviously, the shaving thing, you could probably understand it, but sharpening his teeth... So in the, in the courtroom, he was in his own cage. And at first, I, I thought, looking at it originally, I think like most people think he's in that to protect them from him. But actually, it was very much the other way around. All the, the victims' families wanted to get at him. And there's footage of the courtroom oh, of them God. shouting at him and screaming at him um, and, you know, wishing death upon him. Um, I mean, it's purpose-built as well. There was nothing ever seen like this before. No. Um, you know, and, and he looks, even though he's, uh, you can, you, you, you know, you get the, the, uh, the impression that he's trying to convince them he's insane and really pushing for that, that outcome. He, well, he, you can also see in, in his, in his, the way he's moving, the way he's breathing so heavily that he is terrified. Well, apparently when he was in prison cells, he was very quiet, very calm. But when he was in, actually in the courtroom, he would stand up, randomly scream. He exposed himself to the judge, uh, to the judge and said, what can I do with this useless thing? Pointing at his penis. He was doing these things to kind of demonstrate how you know how insane he was but mm-hmm. the people would, would go on to think he was just doing a show of it and they, they didn't believe him from it as I said earlier on one of the things that one of the big things that made them believe that he wasn't insane was the fact that after being arrested for a short period of time he did then stop for a bit because he morally knew it was wrong and he felt the danger of being arrested so all these things worked against him so the trials became more like a, a circus show than an actual trial. Um, it was the first national news case in liberated Russia. Crowds were fighting, as you say, to get to the cage, fainting, screaming, throwing things at him. But they actually had to bring in KGB and members of the Russian army to protect the cage itself. In a rambling two-hour statement, Chikatilo described himself as a man robbed of his genitals. 
There was no video link trials at this time. There was one note as well that really kind of uh, sent chills down the old spine, and that is that while in death row, he did complete a number of interviews, which uh, we'll we'll put some stills up now. Um, um, He's got quite an interesting voice as well. But he informed uh, the individual that was interviewing that he had often tasted the blood of his victims, to which he stated that made him feel chills and shake all over. He also confessed to tearing at victims' genitalia, lips, nipples and tongues with his teeth. In several instances, Chikatilo would cut off or bite off the tongue of his victims as he performed his eviscerations. Eva shortly... After the point of death, or just before the point of death, he would run around the body as he held the tongue aloft in one hand. Although he had admitted to chewing on various body parts of his victims, he did later go on to say that um, he had swallowed the nipples and tongues of some of his victims. So as you mentioned, he was going for the insanity plea. He didn't get the insanity plea. He was in fact ordered on 14th of February 1994. Valentine's Valentine's Day. Day. He was taken from his death row cell to a soundproof room in the Nova Trask prison and executed with a single gunshot behind the right ear. Now, the thing I like about this, not to just bounce straight off of the gunshot to the back of the head, but um, Chikatilo was under the impression being on death row that once executed, they could extract his brain and find out what's wrong with him. And that was kind of a driving force. There is something wrong with me. And, and, you know, when I'm gone, you can find out what it is and make sure there are no other people like me. Hmm. However, the gunshot to the head uh, kind of put a stop to that um, (laughs) post-mortem. And that is the case of Andre Chikatilo. The Rostov Butcher. The Red Ripper. And all the other things they called the pathetic monster. The goose. The goose. Not really goose noise. No? There you go. So that was quite a heavy case. Um, and that was. Again, we you know, weren't showing any disrespect by kind of going over some of the murders quickly. It was just yeah. the case this year, a number of them, this episode would have gone on for days. And Dan, a Boston Sound would not have been happy about that, would you, Dan? I will take his silence. <laughs> as a maybe <laughs> yeah, I don't know maybe we'll do it again um, but thank you so much for watching um, or listening yeah or listening because there's a few of them thank you so much everybody for, for for joining us for this week's case we really appreciate it uh, again it was it was a slightly not that, not that the rest of them aren't but this was a this was a dark deep dive um, and we're glad to see the back of him um, back of the head um, but as always, thank you all so much for the support and for, for the good comments. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we've got another biggie coming next week and the week after and the week after. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we really appreciate it all. Um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter where we post daily posts and daily little tidbits on other cases. And, uh, and also if you want more content, we've got a Patreon where we do minisodes on and we also do other little things in there and discussions. So be sure to head over there. If you want to support us, um, then, you know, we'd really, really appreciate that. We also have our lovely, lovely mugs available. So as we said, send us a message on Insta, send us anything, send us something weird. You sound desperate. Thank you for watching. Until Bye next, guys. Until next time. <laughs> You've been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Joel Beckett and Jonathan Kidd. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound. Edited by Kean O'Leary. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at Could Murder a Pod and make sure to tell all of your friends. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. This is the summer to expand your horizons. You've had enough staying home. You've had enough confinement. It's time to explore. But before you set foot out the door, set foot in the ultimate travel shoes from Allbirds, like the breathable, silky smooth tree runner, the responsive foam and extra grip of the tree dasher, or the classic low-top look of the Tree Piper. Allbirds has a shoe ready for whatever adventures you have planned. Whether you're traveling to the ends of the earth or settling in for a staycation, you need a shoe that's versatile enough to go with any outfit, durable enough to wear over any terrain, and lightweight enough to make packing a breeze. Being made from insanely comfortable, breezy eucalyptus fiber is a plus, too. When you wear Allbirds tree shoes, you're in vacation mode before you even leave the house. They're the only shoes your suitcase needs. Boarding pass? Check passport check the perfect travel shoe check find your perfect pair of tree dashers runners pipers and more at allbirds.com that's a-l-l-b-i-r-d-s.com rory and kid here from the award-winning podcast this paranormal life every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax like the time a guy claimed he punched bigfoot or when a ufo showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch, and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.